podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Cool. Hello and welcome. I'm Les Bubka and you're listening to Accidental Podcast or something like that. My today's guest is John Titchen, uh, expert in self-protection, uh, karate, uh, author of many books on the pin and flow system, uh, all-around nice person. Um, how are you, John? I'm very well today. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm happy to have you. Uh, I'm kind of following following your work, and I'm always amazed on your methodical approach. Uh, pro, we say in Poland, um, everything works like in the army. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I know that you are from the army, so it's no surprise there. RAF, RAF. Ah, sorry, my wife keep telling keep um, telling me off. You are getting upset when I call people army, but it comes from <laughs> um, maybe mistranslation in Poland. Army, which is army. You mean military? Military, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. Or, yeah. Or everything. But I keep doing that mistake. And my apologies, my wife's still having, I'm driving her nuts with yes. that. So army is the, the, not the same as RAF and Navy and stuff. Yes. People are going to get upset. So my apologies. But from my perspective, you see, I've, I've only ever worked as a, you know, as a reservist, um, you know, not a, not a sort of like a frontline or, or full time. Mm-hmm. Uh, person but there there is a lot of carryover between a lot of the processes that I had to learn in in my particular jobs um, particularly the tri-service area of what I did uh, and the safety areas of what I did and and that's had an influence on how I you know go about constructing my own training uh, and and analyzing things. Uh, we're going to be talking about it a bit more later, I, I hope, because that's, that's the, the thing which is very um, uh, interesting to me. I was actually writing yesterday a uh, 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 reply to the in- interview with me on an article, and I mentioned you and Chris Wilder because you kind of have a similar approach, very mm-hmm. methodical, maybe different backgrounds, but very, very interesting to me, which I'm striving to do, but I'm a bit more chaotic. But let's start from the beginning. Okay. And, uh, could you tell us something more about you, your background in martial arts and where you're coming from? Uh, right. So um, I began my, my real martial arts training in about 1991. Uh, and I began in Shotokan karate. And I got the cross training bug very, very early on. In fact, I, as, as memory serves, I did my first ever cross training seminar. Um, only nine months into my training Um, and I I went off and I I hopped on a train and I went to London um, and did a weekend course in Stillwell Mantis uh, with a gentleman named Tony Lung um, who at the time had a a column a regular column for combat magazine and um, the thing about you know a lot of cross training a lot of the the little seminars you go to or videos you watch or books you read you know to to someone who's full-time in that system they 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 look at these people who flit in and flit out and i suppose they think well you know this person's only done so much but from my perspective you know what you pick up in a in a three-hour seminar what you pick up in a in a five-minute video that can spark an idea that you take into your own training elsewhere and that you then work on for years and years and years. So, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's not necessarily about quantity. It's the quality of what you can take away uh, and then how you approach it. But I, you know, I started cross training very, very early on. And also because um, I was in a military family and going to a boarding school uh, from a very early stage, I was doing Shotokan with one group at school. And then when it came to the holidays, 
I, I wanted to do Shotokan still. So I had to then go and find another Shotokan club. Um, and of course, as you know, every association has their own flavor, their own different ways of, of doing things, their own Kumite sets, their own basics combinations. And I, I found that, you know, between, between school and holiday and, and holiday and university and the different places I went, um, I got a lot of exposure to different things. My, my biggest cross-training, single big cross-training thing has always been Aikido. Um, and I did Aikido for almost a, a decade when I was living in Norwich. And uh, I was very, very fortunate to train with some really, really uh, nice people. Um, John Titter uh, and Alan Prescott. Uh, John has sadly uh, passed away from, from cancer uh, a number of years ago. Um, but he was also an influence because he was an older instructor. And it's... It John, can I... John, can I stop, stop you for a second? I think my Wi-Fi is playing up because I heard you in a speed of a slug. Uh, so I'm going to switch off to stop the Wi-Fi. Okay. And, we can uh, always start again if you wish. Uh, okay, come on. Uh, yeah, okay, you're back. Yeah, sometimes in this room uh, my Wi-Fi doesn't work properly, so we'll see how it's going to go. Okay. On where did you lose me? Where did you um, lose me? I, I lose you. Uh, definitely didn't hear the Aikido. I heard the beginning of Aikido, but I didn't um, So, yeah, I did uh, almost a decade uh, cross training in Aikido with, with most of my paired training being, uh, you know, doing four hours of Aikido a week um, with, a, with a really, really good group. Um, and then I would go and do, do kata. Um, you know, in my own time in the same martial arts center. Um, and that, uh, that, that particular direction was really because I, I wanted to look at stand-up, some of the stand-up grappling and some of the, some of the throwing. Um, and it, it seemed like a good fit to me. And one thing I'm particularly grateful of is that one of my main instructors, John Titter, he was an older gentleman. He was a big, strong gentleman, but he was an older gentleman and very much into use as little effort as you can mm -hmm. uh, to do a job. So, you know, angles and biomechanics. Um, and I was also lucky that, that particular group, uh, you know, it was, it was a small club. There were only about eight people training um, in that club. But it was very much, you hit the mat, you know, you were back up again in seconds, and then you hit the mat and you're back up again. And... And actually, in workout terms, um, I very, very rarely experienced a karate class that had the same intensity of workout. For all the, uh, the bad rep that Aikido sometimes gets, um, you know, when you're with people that really want to train, you, you, you train. Mm -hmm. and, and I was also grateful for the fact that that particular group had great big week-long summer schools where you got to train with a multitude of different people. Uh, which is always good to, to get to know different shoulders, different arms, different joints. Um, but also some very, very senior instructors. Uh, the late Pierre Chassang uh, was there teaching and training in his 80s. Um, and he was an amazing Aikidaka to work with. Mm -hmm. But over the years, you know, I've just taken opportunities where I can to, to train with people, whatever their background, uh, and to watch people and learn from people uh, and bring that into my own training. And you know, it, it's changed what I do. Uh, th there's no doubt about it. And, and there was a time when I you know, started to wonder whether, uh, am I still doing karate anymore? Mm, yeah, I've, I've kind of come full circle on that. And I now you know, go, yes, I am doing karate. Uh, yeah, it, but it's my karate. <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's a funny process, isn't it? I went through that as well with the addition of wrestling and all the stuff which I've done. And then you kind of lose that confidence that, am I doing stuff right? Am I, am I okay? Am I still karate? And then it goes like, yeah, yeah, it's my karate. That's it meant to be. Yes, but a lot of yes. people are in opposition to that, isn't it? And, and the thing is, I mean, you know, you know from your own wrestling background that um, a lot of the stuff that you might look at as a karate and go, yes, this is different. But when you actually understand it, you go, well, hang on a second this thing that I've just done, I've, I've, I've just seen the judo guys do it, 
or mm. I, I've just, you know, I've just seen the wrestling guys do this thing, which is in Basai Dai, or, um, you know, uh, an exercise in Jite. Oh, that looks like a judo warm-up exercise. Um, you know, and you, you, you start to see, hang on a second, it's, it is all there in my karate, but of course it's only really there if you train it. Mm. Uh, uh, if, if you know what I mean, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, yes, we have it in karate or yes, it's in the kata, but you, you've only really got it if you use it. Mm. Um, yeah, I find, I find it funny that recently, you know, everybody does the, the bunkai's the applications and, and you look online and people say, oh yeah, it was, you know, we done it 20 years ago. Well, nobody was doing that 20 years ago. So how did you not share it? <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I mean, in defense of some people, obviously, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't have YouTube. Yeah. yeah. We, we didn't have, we, we only just had sort of email groups, didn't we? Um, and forums were, were, were starting to become a thing. Uh, but it was, you know, it was a lot harder to share media and ideas with, with other people. Mm. Um, so who knows, you know, they may well have been doing it. Um, yeah. I stand corrected. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, or then again, they may just be, you know, spinning you a, a, a bit of a tail. Yeah. Um, because there, let's, let's face it, there are, there are some people who, um, for want of a better word, have chosen to preserve their karate exactly the way it was when they learned it, mm -hmm. whether that be 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And... To a certain extent, their longevity has, has been doing the same year of training mm. over and over and over again. Um, I, I've got to a stage now with my own health, uh, having had you know, so many surgeries and, and things that I'm very, very careful about who I cross train with now. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'll, I'll watch a lot more than I'll physically go out and do. Um, but that said, you know, I'm, I'm back at a stage where I'm, I'm keen for my older students to go out, do the cross training and then come back to me. And if, if they've seen something which they feel would be a positive addition to what we could do and, and would integrate with what we're doing, then I, it, it becomes, you know, the teacher learns from the student who learned from another teacher, which... Mm -hmm. I think is actually a very, very traditional way of doing things. You know, you, you look at uh, the, the way things were done in the 20th century uh, with, with people like Funakoshi uh, sending, I think it was Igami went off to train with Ishiba. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, other people went, were sent off back to Okinawa to, to pick up other things, to preserve them and so forth. And, you know, often, you know, the teacher themselves, the main teacher doesn't necessarily have, the the time uh or the inclination perhaps to go out and do that cross training themselves but they they send their students out to do it and then bring it back in mm. uh now sometimes that may be ego you know the, the, the teacher doesn't want to be humiliated by going into another class mm. um and and, that, and that's a shame you know if, if you're healthy enough to do it and you have time to do it then do it i mean otherwise there's there's nothing wrong from learning from your own students i think yeah, I think the both ways are good. I personally lo love being, um, uh, not hu I don't see it as a humiliation, but, uh, but let's say defeated or, or um, put in my place, oh, that's the way, put in my place uh, yes. with the new trainings and stuff like that. It just um, stimulates my growth. Yes, you know, yes. To work on. Um, speaking of your health, um, <clears throat> I know you went through a lot of... Um, uh, physical uh, operations and, and physical health changes. Uh, but I'll ask that every, every um, person who comes on my podcast. Uh, so what impact had or have uh, karate on your mental health? Well, the reason I'm actually in karate is linked to my mental health. Um, and when I was uh, a teenager, um, I went through a period of having tremendous aggression um, and behavior to the extent that I was suspended from school 
and I lost almost a year of schooling. Um, and it was suggested to me that martial arts would help me, uh, you know, control my, my anger management and my anger issues. And it just so happened that when I went back to school the next year, a karate club started up at school. And I, I just threw myself into that. And I am still by nature quite uh, an angry and aggressive person. Um, really? But I, <laughs> I, I, find, I find my karate helps me keep a lid on that. Um, you know, my, my, my training, uh, careful release of, of aggression at different points. I never fully release uh, my mind, so to speak, in training. Um, but uh, I, I find for me, it's a great way of calming myself uh, and relaxing. So for me, that's, that's been one of the biggest things that has kept me in training is its, uh, its positive effect uh, for me on, on anger management uh, and aggression management. I would never get, in a million years, I wouldn't guess. He always seems to be so calm and... Well, I try. <laughs> I try, I try. Even to the degree sometimes I would say calculated, but not in a bad meaning of, of the word. But uh, yeah, just calm and methodical person. Well, we all have got the secrets. <laughs> um, so you said, how did you get into... Uh, how did you get into karate? You just said it, that yes, it was... Yes the kind of accident uh... and I think like so many people you know as instructors uh, particularly as people who who run clubs you know we, we, we try and recruit students and we, we we try and put out adverts that you know reflect what we do um, but perhaps the elephant in the room is often that you know people will go for the most convenient thing and mm. the, the reason that my my core my foundation uh, is Shotokan, was Shotokan, was simply the fact that there was a Shotokan club at the school I went to. Mm. Um, you know, if a judo club had started up, uh, we probably would not be talking now. Um, you know, and, and, and similarly, uh, you know, if it had been a, a teacher that had done Chinese martial arts, um, you know, maybe I'd be a Wing Chunner mm. uh, or, 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 or something, you know, so it's... I think there is that convenience element and I've, I've met people who I've asked, Oh, you know, how's your son doing with his karate? Always oh, stopped because they, they, they stopped running the club in this town. They moved it to somewhere five miles away. And I'm there thinking five miles away. And I can remember from my own point of view, you know, I, I used to, to train with my own grading instructor when I was at university, I'd be, um, I'd be going to university karate classes and I'd be doing my own training in the mornings at university. But because of the way my, my timetable was, come Friday, I'd get a train from Birmingham down to Buckinghamshire. And then Saturday morning, I would drive from Buckinghamshire to Bishop Stortford for a one-hour class with my instructor before driving back to Buckinghamshire and then on Sunday getting the train up to Birmingham again. And, you know, admittedly, Bishop Stortford you know it's, it's only about an hour and a half drive for a one-hour class obviously three hours when you you know include the return journey but then when you start adding in the train journey to Birmingham as well and so I I, I get absolutely flabbergasted when people say oh we, we stopped because the club moved five miles away yeah. <laughs> I, I can't understand that <laughs> I've been playing to Poland to my teachers so I hope, you know you do what you yeah. have to do isn't it um, but yeah, I think people look for convenience. It's it's for some people it's more a hobby than uh, the proper training. I yeah, and, and I and I don't think we should condemn that because no, 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 no. You know, as 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 I think you have said, you know, people are in the martial arts for lots of different reasons, or, or rather, they they may join with the reasons for people joining may often be different from the reasons people stay. But whether you're there because you want to be a very successful competitive fighter whether you're there because you you want self-defense uh one of the big things that good karate should offer even if it doesn't really offer those two things should be improved physical health and as mm. you know you 
I'm sure will be the first to, to point out um, the good mental health of just being around other people and sharing an activity. Uh, yeah. You know, even if you're not necessarily going out for a drink with them afterwards or, or having much of a social life within the club, often just going out and meeting another group of people and doing an exercise together uh, it can be very, very good for your mental health uh, mm. as well as your physical health. And one of the things I've noticed with the, the lockdown that, you know, so many of us have experienced recently is, you know, a lot of my students are teenagers and, you know, that's an age where social interaction can be so important mm. and, you know, they've, they've been kept separate. They've been out of school and I've now got to the stage where under our COVID secure procedures, we're running training in my garden. We've been running Zoom classes for weeks and weeks and weeks. And, you know, we've had varied uptake on that. Some people couldn't cope with it. Some people absolutely loved it and were training five days a week. But now that I've got groups of teenagers spread out in the garden and the rules in my local area have changed so that I can have above six people in the garden, mm-hmm. um, what it tends to be, particularly at the initial stages, as people come in and you know they they get the temperature taken and they wash their their arms and their hands and their face and their neck before they start training, um, is people standing around and the the banter levels <laughs> amongst the teenagers, um, you know, it, you you can see just the the general happiness for being in a space surrounded by other people. Um, and I think that's something we, we often forget, uh, particularly people like you know me who you know focus on self protection predominantly, is that you know for a lot of people it's not about that, um, or even if it was when they started, it's it's no longer a concern. They're there because they enjoy the company of other people and they enjoy the exercise and the the physical and mental benefits that that brings. Yeah, sure. Well, I can see on my, my son as well, he's only three and a half and, and he's going a bit of a, uh, not really, really though, but he's constantly asking about his friends when he can go back to school, what, to nursery. Mm-hmm. So he was so last week, right, last week they, they went two weeks ago, sorry, I went first time to the nursery and I've never seen him so happy running to <laughs> the nursery, you know, oh, I'm going to be with my friends, I'm going to be with teachers, I'm going to be do, doing stuff, so. Yes, so is, yes. You can see from, from the little ones to the um, grown-ups that it, it is impacting mental health. You mentioned that you're doing the uh, more self-protection uh, training. So what's your approach to self-protection for well, karate? I mean, self-protection has, has been my main focus for over the last 20 years. But there is that, there's that little clash because, of course, the majority of self-protection isn't really physical. Mm. You know, it, it, it's mental and it's, and it's not about the actual conflict situation. It's about avoiding the, the situation. It's about um, body language and behavior in a way that deters other people from uh, attacking it and so forth. And, but of course, when people come to a, a class they don't generally go to a class to want to, to sit down to have the instructor talk to them. Yeah. You know, they, they go to a class for physical training. Um, and so the way I, I end up modeling that is, yes, we do, you know, in, in class, it's the physical training. And the physical stuff is legally underpinned for scalable drills um, related to habitual acts of violence. But what I do is in the syllabus document, which everyone is made to read as part of the examination processes, because I have theory exams for every single grade in addition to, um, to the physical exams. So they have to look up stuff to answer questions. And that's mm-hmm. the way I make sure that people are reading the syllabus um, and, and being forced to read some safety advice. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we have that element of the syllabus. So a large part of the self-protection element of the syllabus um, is, you know, is written. Um, and then when we do sim days, which are a grading requirement for my guys for their brown belts upwards from 3Q upwards, those are self-protection days. A lot of people tend to focus. They see the pictures or they see a bit of video and they see 
people in body armor doing uh, uh, role play and uh, that sort of stuff. But what they don't tend to see, of course, is that, yes, I'll have given people individual briefings and then send them in. And often people won't know who's doing what. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it can be quite unpredictable for them and they have to make decisions. But after we've run, say, three or four scenarios in a particular you know, environment, everyone goes back to the briefing room, the videos go up and we freeze frame and we look at the combative side of what happened and discuss what went on there. But then we start talking about legal considerations, ethical considerations. Did you have to get involved? Should you have got involved? And that's the real, that's why they are really self-protection training days um, more than anything else, because we're, we're talking through, um, you know, could this have been avoided? Could it be handled better? Uh, what are the repercussions for you? What are the repercussions for the other person for your involvement? The idea is really to get people to think about their red lines and to think about the consequences of their actions um, ahead of any event rather than after any event. Sure. Uh, I know that uh, on based of that your um, self-defense approach or self-protection approach, you created DART. Could you explain what DART is, how the concept was born and what it means? Well, this comes back to something I mentioned earlier, which was I got to a stage where what I was doing had had changed so much that I couldn't call it Shotokan anymore. Yeah. And I was using the generic term practical karate. Um, and then I got to a stage where I was starting to, to really question whether what I was doing was karate. And, you know, for, for descriptive purposes, for marketing purposes, I needed to call it something. And I, I personally, you know, I didn't want to name it after myself. I'm not that egotistical. Um, and I didn't want to use a Japanese name because I'm not Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted something that summed up what we did. So DART is defense attack and resolution tactics. Um, it also refers to um, the weapon. Um, and also it crucially refers to a swift movement. Mm-hmm. And it's really, you know, when I look at it now, how I describe dart now, you know, I would say, yes, this is karate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I refer to it as dart karate. But for me, you know, it, it was really just wanting to, to find a way of describing what I was doing in English rather than um, using a Japanese term for what is you know, essentially English or British karate. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of what we do physically, we, um, sorry about that. Uh, in, in terms of what we do physically, you know, th- there's a lot of commonality between what I do and what you'll see in a lot of reality-based self-defense systems. But at the same time, I teach kata and I... I brought, I had a number of years where I wasn't teaching kata in dart. And then I got to a stage where I wasn't happy with my students' footwork. I wasn't happy with their stances. And, and then one or two people got some injuries that knocked them out from training. And I thought, well, they, they need something that they can practice when they're not at training. And so we've, we've now moved essentially to a stage where we, we have four kata that I, I teach in dart too, which are uh, traditional karate kata. Uh, the Teki Naihenshi kata mm-hmm. and the uh, Seisan Hangetsu kata. Um, the two kata have been chosen for slightly different reasons, but they are very, very common across uh, a wealth of karate styles. And then we have two kata which are mine and based on my drills, with me wanting really to give the students something that they could practice that would work the majority of their combinations, but also include some mobility and agility exercises and some principle-based stuff. Um, now, I could perhaps have said, well, you know, I'll get them to do the Hian Kata instead. 
Um, but as much as I like the Hiankata, I don't like the embassy of the Hiankata. I don't like the, the requirement for space. Uh, I wanted a kata where you could start it and you could finish it and you didn't have to shuffle forward or back or change your position. Um, and you could do it in a narrow corridor, small space in the kitchen, you know, push a chair aside and do it in a hotel room. Uh, you know, I wanted the embassy to be that tight while including all the combinations that I wanted people to rehearse. And, and so that's how those two kata came about. And it was really just a process of me writing down what I wanted to include and then having to sit down and figure out an order mm. of doing it so that it, it hit all the bases and, and kept an embassy that worked in that small space. Uh, and you know, that is how those kata were born. Is, is, are they based on your uh, Pinan flow or Heian flow system? Uh, what was that all about? Well, that's that's kind of a Ouroboros thing because the the Heian flow system was me taking my applications in and and putting them together in a manner to try and teach people how to move from static to dynamic to a live training. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's one of the things that we do the worst um, within the martial arts, because often there's, it, it's, it's as if you, you're, you're jumping off a cliff going from static training to suddenly free sparring and dynamic training. Mm -hmm. And so the, the flow in, in both of those, hand flow system and PNM flow system, doesn't refer to flow drills. I mean, yes, what they're doing is drills. But when people talk about flow drills, I generally associate that with a, a fixed pattern of movement that is usually circular and comes back to a point and may even have one person doing one thing and then another person does the same thing back at them. Um, whereas the flow in the PNAM flow system was really about the concept of freely flowing between grappling and striking uh, and freely flowing between combinations. The whole thing was designed to work like uh, modern Lego or Meccano in that you had lots and lots of different combinations, but then you were taught how this combination could feed into that mm -hmm. um, with various different options. And I think a lot of people who looked at my stuff initially but didn't necessarily read the stuff at the front or the end of the drills thought, oh, it relies on this person doing this, 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 and this. But actually, in both the hand flow system and the penum flow system, it was always designed that you might teach a particular combination, but then you turn over the page in the next drill, the person does something different, and you flow to something different. Um, and it was always designed so that it would be very, very few set sequences. But when you teach it, you might say, I want you to start with a punch, go to a clinch, um, and do this, but that's just a stage because you might teach people punching drills, you teach people clinching drills, you teach people tackle drills, you teach people headlock drills, and you might do those individually. Then you might say, punch to tackle, punch to clinch, punch to headlock. And then you say to the guy, right, punch to whichever one of those you want. The other person's just got to, you know, learn, you know, respond to the stimuli now. And then you start adding in, okay, this time, instead of hitting them, wanting to wrap them up with something. And, you know, so that's how we're teaching people to do it. And a lot of the time in my own clubs, I'll say, start with this. And at different stages, different age grades, um, you know, I may, I may give them a fixed dynamic combination to do, or I may just say, start the punch, see where you go. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's how it's designed. Now, the difference between the HEAM flow system and the PNAM flow system is really just 10 years of training. Um, it's, it's me changing what I did, incorporation, um, more clinch and boxers hug and stand-up grappling work uh, because we were seeing so much more of that coming about in scenario training when mm -hmm. we were doing real force-on-force -force, uh, work. Um, how does that relate to DART? Well, DART kind of came out of the hand flow system. And then a lot of stuff that I felt was unnecessary got stripped away. 
and then stuff got pressure tested and changed a little bit. And then from Dart, uh, what I essentially did was take Dart and then adapt it to the Shotokan Kata to make the PNAM flow system. Um, but having said that, you know, the PNAM flow system, what I teach to Shotokan people, I've got a very, very small number of Shotokan students. I obviously teach more Shotokan people in seminars than I actually have Shotokan students. Mm -hmm. uh, Shotokan only represents 10% of my, my student base. Um, but the... I've lost my thread of where I'm talking now. The, <laughs> um, the thing is, you know, the PNAM flow system was written 2013, 2014. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I now yeah. do combinations in that and transitions in that that I didn't show in the books. And some of the ones I did show in the books, I don't do so often anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of the ones that were in the books actually were there really that, there were one or two things that I didn't do, but I thought would be useful for people who still did one step Kumite mm -hmm. as a helpful introduction. Um, and similarly, you know, um, my DART syllabus, it changes every year. You know, things, things get trialed, things get stripped down, things get put, put in, broken apart, uh, because everything has to fit together holistically. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, one of the big concentrations in recent years has been improving our ground game in Dart. Uh, you know, it's not where we want to be, um, but we want to be competent on it. And my, my existing ground drills had served me very, very well in, in training uh, and just free playing with various different people. Um, you know, and I'd, I'd had the opportunity to try them out on um, some ground specialists in judo and they'd worked very, very well there. Uh, in lighthearted playing, but at the same time, I recognised you know the scope for improvement, and actually, it's something my students really enjoy doing. So you know, we've we've been in bringing more catch wrestling into the into the dark game um, mm. and incorporating that into what we're doing with the ground stuff. Um, but it, you know, it's it's all a constant check process of change. When I get round to doing a a PNAM flow system video series at some point in time, it will be different to the books. Um, in fact, you know, the, the PNAM flow system as I currently teach it is probably different enough from the books now for me to do a new set of books, but I'd rather do videos first. Hmm. It, it, I think that's the only way my, my syllabus is changing as well all the time because where you go and learn or think about what you want to teach, you're always evolving. So, it, it need, your, your training needs to reflect that and, and students need to be aware what they're doing. So, so yes. I, I appreciate that. The other thing you mentioned that your students love, love groundwork. I find, found that um, because most of my students are people who done karate before in UK and, and joined me. And when I introduced them to, cut, I call it cuddles, cuddling, um, they are surprised how actually fun it is um, to do. Yes. We we not do uh, super extended uh, groundwork just to you know don't be um, catching there and get up, but you you can't find something which you're not aware of what what's happening there. You get yes. confused and then then there's no chance you you survive. So it's nice to see that more people from the karate background is starting being interested in the um, limited groundwork, but it's at least something happening, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. Uh, so tell me how how you structure your uh, methodology of teaching. Are you uh, more for the traditional, which I don't think so you are, but more traditional ways? Or are you searching for newest methods? Uh, are you picking from the sport side of stuff? I, I think there's a lot to be learned from other disciplines. Um, and, and not necessarily just sporting um, disciplines. Because the thing is, you know, there, there is just a wealth of information out there. We're in a, a very information rich age. And if you want to see something pressure tested, then, you know, for some things, you might talk to law enforcement, even though, you know, I think most of my law enforcement friends would agree. Uh, <laughs> The, the law enforcement officers that actually do grappling 
very, very well are the law enforcement officers that actually do martial arts. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, sadly, in the, in the scope of, of training, uh, pretty much wherever you look in the world, um, it's, 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 it's a lower down priority uh, for everything else that um, the law enforcement community have to deal with. But then, you know, that's one side of things. There's, there's also all the, you know, mixed martial arts is an ideal place where you can look at 101 things that are in kata being applied um, in a different context and, and learn from that. In terms of stretching and flexibility and, you know, you look at what the professional athletes are doing, what the gymnasts are doing, what the dancers are doing, what the ballet people are doing. Um, you know, there, there are some people that still do warm-ups that, uh, you know, they're, they're 20, 30 years out of date, at least, um, in their approaches. And in, in teaching, you know, the way we teach, you know, there's, there's always more to learn. Mm. And, you know, a lot of what I do, you know, some stuff, you know, it's, it's influenced from the fact, you know, I, I was, I've been a first aid instructor for years and years and years. And you do learn a lot from that about sometimes the importance of keeping things very, very simple for what you may need to remember under a highly pressurized situation, having a particular way of teaching things. Um, and the same with, you know, the military way of teaching things and, and, and drilling things uh, in, in terms of how you build up from, you know, learning a weapon system, learning to fire it on a range, doing uh, various forms of blank firing training and move from fire and movement drills with, with pairs to fire teams to working as platoons and in a whole different scale up in the way people train and way people do things. And, you know, there is, there's a lot of information out there that I think we should be taking more advantage of. We, you know, we, we live in a, at a time where we have access to this and no matter how much we might want to put past masters on pedestals you know they they were human they were doing the best they could with what they knew uh, and what they had access to um and actually you know we all have access to so much more than they did so you know we should use that yeah it is you just need to reach out and 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 have the will to implement it i find that that, that people um, learn something and sit comfortably on it and, and it goes out of date and they don't search the improvement. Um, what are your future plans? I know you're working on a really nice book because you keep posting bits of it. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the new book is, is getting, close to, um, getting close to release. Um, it's going to be released on the 1st of September. The, the e-book side of it is is done actually it's, it's, it's the e-book i'm the most happy with um you yourself know from from doing book editing etc uh things keep changing in this world and you know what was the standard for putting images into an e-book a few years ago is different now mm-hmm. uh, and the quality of image you can you can render is different and the same with print on demand paperback books and i've got this book in as it stands, I'm very, very happy with it, but I've actually decided I'm going to add eight pages in it mm-hmm. because I've decided that there are, there are a couple of things where I've done small images that um, I've used in the past and I've gone, you know what, that could be a full-size image. Mm-hmm. You know, I can add eight pages onto this book. I'm going to make these images bigger. Why not? Um, but that will be out 1st of September. Um, the next project for me will probably be a, a video project. Um, when that's going to be ready, I don't know. There is a book in the works, which has been in the works for about 20 years, on self-protection. And the structure of the book is written. And a lot of the content of the book is, is, is kind of up here. You know, I, I, I always plan my writing and I... I plan things. I, I tend to have open emails where I just pop things in. So if an idea comes, go, have I actually, I don't want to forget this and I, mm. I, I'll pop it in to make sure I don't forget it. Um, 
that may be a standalone project or it may be a collaborative project. There's someone I'm talking to about that who I think could bring an interesting angle to it, um, but we, we've yet to sort out what we want to do. Um, I would like to release a second volume of Karate and Self-Defense Selected Articles. Um, I believe I've got enough articles that um, would be of interest there for a second volume. So in, in, in writing terms, there's, there's still stuff on the, uh, on the horizon. Uh, for me, obviously, um, I don't know where I'm going in teaching terms. Um, and that's simply because, you know, yes, at the moment, I am, I'm teaching Zoom every week and I'm teaching three physical contact sessions every single week under the COVID secure guidelines that um, I've set out for my association. And I have one particular training partner that I work with uh, that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in a, in a fixed partnership for training with. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure how his fiance feels about that, but mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm working contact with one person. Um, and it looks like, you know, we will scale up what we're doing in September because at the moment we're working in fixed pairs, but come September, most of my students are going to be in year group bubbles Mm -hmm. uh, during the school day and then they're going to be breaking out of their bubbles to, to mingle in buses um, at the end of school but there's a difference between me teaching my own students who come from a limited geographical area um, and for whom I can put in place um, training procedures I can get them to take their temperatures every day I can you know, have them sign forms saying they're not coming training if they've got any particular symptoms within the household in the last two weeks. Um, I can track and trace them if anything, you know, anyone gets COVID-19 type symptoms. But for me to do a seminar where people are coming from all over the place, that's a bit of a different matter. And, you know, for me, I'm a transplant patient. I take immunosuppressants morning and night. Uh, I am classed as highly vulnerable. And so I don't know when I'm going to be teaching seminars again. Um, it really will depend on whether there's an effective vaccine or not, or what the case rate comes down to being. I've only booked in one seminar for next year. Um, and I don't even know at this stage whether that's going to go ahead. Um, I'm not even planning any foreign seminars at the moment. So I, I don't know whether um, I may end up retiring as a seminar instructor in the future or not it really comes down to what the state of play is with this virus. Um, simply because I'm in that higher risk category. Yeah, sure. Um, it, it is challenging times, it is challenging times. I think no, nobody knows what's gonna, gonna happen. Let's hope that uh, we all gonna go back to normal and uh, the vaccine gonna be successful and um, you can be uh, saved. Well, I hope so, I hope so. Um, you know, I, I'm, I think there's a there's a lot of karateka that are absolutely itching to to get out and uh, and get training in seminars in addition to in their own clubs. Uh, probably a lot of karate widows or karate uh, widowers uh, who are hoping that their husband and wife gets out to train fairly mm -hmm. soon. So, um, you know, I, I think it's you know it's one thing that everyone you know, right across the world is, is, is hoping that, that something uh, effective will be available soon. You know, it's, it's obviously very, very encouraging that a number of already manufactured and already cheap medications mm. seem to be having a, a positive effect on the treatment of those who've been unfortunate enough to, to catch it and get severe symptoms, uh, which will hopefully, um, you know, hopefully bring the death rate down uh, for those that do catch it um, and suffer more severe symptoms in the future, we can you know we can only hope we can just trust to the people with the the big brains and the equipment and the budgets mm. um, and and also hope that there are a lot of people prepared to be the volunteers for vaccines because without volunteers, you know these things don 't happen when I had my first transplant, uh, I actually trialed uh, a new form of treatment, and you know I was just asked. Um, probably about an hour before surgery, would you be happy to try this? Uh, it's, it's higher risk. You might lose the kidney sooner. Um, and my thought process was I will try it because 
yes, it may be higher risk, but if we don't try it, we won't know if it's better. And if it's better, it could improve things for lots of people. Um, and from my perspective, any transplant is, is, is better than no transplant when you're, yeah. when you're on dialysis. Did, did that work? Is it better? Uh, my, my first transplant lasted for six years. Um, and uh, it, was, uh, you know, it, it worked, it worked very, very well for a number of years. Uh, and then, you know, very, very rapid uh, decline. I had a, another period on dialysis and my current transplant I've now had for uh, 15 years. Uh, and that's, that's currently working uh, incredibly well. Oh, that's, that's good to, to hear. Uh, and how are your recovery going from the last operation? Are you, um, are you fully back or still still straining yourself? I think in, in terms of physical recovery, it's been good. We, we, we're still not 100% certain as to whether it's worked. Um, I've got to have a few more tests done. I may have to have another procedure done um, because the fault may be, may be elsewhere, actually in my throat rather than in my esophagus. Um, but we, you know, we have a plan in place for that, although treatment for that has been pushed back because uh, the, the health service has been, obviously, a lot of it's been shut down uh, to deal with the, the COVID-19 outbreak or being running at you know, reduced um, numbers of procedures. Um, in terms of my own injury status, uh, <laughs> I had a number of you know, different accidents during my recovery. I, I almost... I think I might have broken my foot, but by the time I got an x-ray four weeks later, uh, they couldn't tell. And they, they, they just said there's definite you know, tendon inflammation. And that has healed up. Um, and I've currently got a very, very inflamed tendon on my, uh, my right fifth metacarpal, which is due to a speedball just catching it at precisely the wrong angle. And uh, that has proved a little bit annoying because I keep losing my little finger. I keep doing things and my little finger gets stuck, mm -hmm. extended, and I can't move it. And I have to physically bring my hand into a fist to rotate the tendon oh, yeah. uh, just slightly over the knuckle. And then I can get my finger, my hand back. But when it first happened, I couldn't do that. And I had to get this finger that was stuck and I had to use my other hand to close my fist uh, to do it. So lesson learned, more padding on gloves. Yeah, my, my student, you, you see you people doing all this dangerous stuff outside of karate. Karate is safe. Uh, my student went with a dog and dog pulled him and he felt a snap or something and his finger mm -hmm. is fused like that now and nobody in NHS knows what to do with it. He's now a year with a finger like that, cannot, cannot open it. We tried forcefully. Right. Um, what they reckon is that he's, he torn the ligament yeah uh, and the tendon and it's fused together and you can't open it so they have to slash it but because of COVID, before because of covid he's waiting his next appointment is on the end of october right i hope i've, I've got to admit yeah my my worst knee injuries have come from the dog karate <laughs> it's, it's 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 where the dog is pulled suddenly when you've been in a position on your heel or you've had all your weight on one foot um, and that's forced a rotation uh, that you weren't expecting. Uh, yeah, never underestimate the power of dogs to injure you. <laughs> okay, John. Thank you very much for your insight to the DART and the penile flow system. Well, thank you very much for talking to me today. It's been a pleasure. It was a pleasure for me as well.